Charting History, Season 1, Episode 5, Jack Tar and Sailor Culture. My name's Graham Moore, and I'm here today with Jean-Marc Hill, a PhD student at the University of Cambridge, and we're going to be talking about Jack Tar, Sailor Culture, and caricatures of sailors in the 18th century. Hello, Jean-Marc. Hi, uh, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Yeah. I get to say that when we do a maritime episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to be here. And I just, uh, yeah, to talk about sailor culture, something I've always been quite interested in. I just always found uh, maritime culture interesting. What I'm looking at in Cambridge at the moment in my PhD is piracy. Mm. But today I'll be looking at caricatures and, well, looking at talking about caricatures and more naval uh, sailor culture. And I think, I think with sailor culture, even from like, I guess a young age. Have you ever been to those nautical shops? You mean like a like a chandlery or uh, like um, I think there's one between Cutty Sark and the National Maritime Museum. Yes, you know you go in and it's it's like a nautical shop, normally called some sort of nautalia or nautical oh yeah, and they have all the kind of a brass instruments. Yes, and you know I always wanted a set of those. Um, barometers and things you can get like a three set of barometers and different clocks i wanted them for my wall yeah since forever yeah. a little model shit <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even uh, i think they always sell their kind of stiff typical like, stereotypical uh sailor jackets in bright yellow yes <laughs> and i think i think when i was younger i was fascinated by those shops and they i feel like it's somehow kind of interacted with my research interests and i kind of it's driven me towards sailor culture and that kind of distinctive maritime feel. You know, I, I'm sure you've experienced it if you've ever been to like a seaside town where all the pubs are suddenly named yeah. maritime names, all the shops, even if you ever stay at like a holiday home or a cottage or something that's got uh, sails on the walls or pictures of yachts. And I think, I think I just yeah, when you when you said to come on this podcast, I just really want to talk about sailor culture and this phenomenon that's kind of timeless of this relation with the sea and the way in which it's kind of embraced in visual culture and kind of material culture and I guess today I really wanted to look at caricatures because they're just fascinating really. Yeah and I think the impression I'm getting from what you're describing here so in the modern day but also in the past we'll get into that in a moment is that these things are never true to life right it's almost always a sort of a, a terrestrial stereotype of what seafaring culture is or what people think it should be yeah exactly completely um although i would say um othering happens on both sides so sailors are very often this is a thing we'll get into later we are we are today predominantly looking at from the landed view at sailors through these caricatures and the kind of stereotypes surrounding sailors in the 18th century Mm. but there is an alternative view where if landsmen would come aboard a sailor ship in this time They'd very much be ridiculed, or um, yeah. there there was an othering from the other side, and I think it, it, it's fascinating to see the 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 combination of this, where sailors are being othered, and there are stereotypes surrounding them, but then sailors are also othering themselves. Sure. So it, it creates almost a sort of split in two different communities here. Is what the impression I'm getting? Yeah, uh, to a sense, I think there maybe there are two different separate communities but more just two different ways of looking at sailor culture Mm. you know you can look at it from essentially the view from the land and you can look at it from the view from the sea and you get very different debates which have happened in scholarship over this degree of separation and and i think this is what i'm really interested in and i think i should probably for those that Maybe less familiar with the, the concept of othering. Yes, can you tell us through, uh, talk us through that term for a moment? So, I, I kind of, I was, I was thinking about it myself, and I thought, you know, best, I don't know, uh, maybe not isn't the best um, way of approaching it. What do you mean it's not the best way? I think othering, othering is really the. I, I, I looked up a dictionary definition just to kind of familiarise myself <laughs> with the kind of official term. Something I always tell my students not to do. Not I always say, do. don't cite the dictionary. And no. yet, there's me sometimes on Wikipedia, like, I just yeah. want to be sure. And essentially, it came across <laughs> as the act of treating someone as though they're not part of a group in a different in some way. Okay. And essentially, it's that idea of othering plays into maybe some other actions that people are more familiar with, such as stereotyping, prejudices discrimination which has of course been very harmful mm. and divisive in many contexts 
and many countries have a long histories of othering foreigners, immigrants. Uh, and the other figure is this figure that is different, shut away, separate, mm. and often seen as inferior in some cases to a social group or the main social group. Sure. It's that, it's that very much that us versus them mentality. You create a them. Exactly. Which helps you conceptualise the us as well, though, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. It's very often, you, I think it's most obvious in uh, war times or conflict, mm. you often this is a, uh, um, a way of kind of getting unity is by othering the, the them in order to create a more kind of unified us. And, you know, this has all been in history along many different lines, you know, religion, gender, orientation, race, mm. um, nationality, sexual orientation, age. But, but here in this example, it's essentially along lines of employment. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's quite interesting with if going to the, the 18th century kind of sailor and sailors themselves. It's, it's along a kind of professional grounds. Mm. It's... It doesn't primarily revolve around nationality, race, or religion, but I would say there are classist connotations, okay. which we will probably get onto later when we can delve a bit more deeply into some of the um, uh, into some of the caricatures we're going to uh, we're going to talk about today. Yes, and um, I think to begin with um, talking about othering and visual culture, we kind of have to begin with Jack Tunn. So what is, or who is, Jack Tar? So Jack Tar is a phrase or a figure that represents the kind of ordinary scene okay. of the 18th century. It's almost like the, the Joe Blocks. It's, yeah. that, it's that similar sort of concept of lower deck sailors. And, um, but, you know, they were named Jack Tar or Jacks. Or it was this, it was this figure and this um, visual depiction and often caricature of the typical sailor. Mm. In some ways, they're kind of, embodied stereotypes of the ordinary sailor and and by sailor i do mean that i guess the lower deck sailor because there's a difference between officers and the upper deck and lower deck okay and this is literally a division by deck as in they would be living working on the lower deck yeah exactly so um sailors who are like able seamen or the lowest ranks of all the ship would um typically uh inhabit the lower decks that's where they would sleep mm. and that were um is different to the kind of officer quarters and the other ranks the higher ranks would be uh, would be kind of staying aboard a ship in the upper deck so uh, often a common terminology is the lower deck sailor refers to the kind of regular rank and file sailor sure typically from working class backgrounds as opposed to the higher ranks which were typically more middle class so it's a very visible we're sort of physically defined in the confines of the ship, class differentiation that yeah. we're looking at here. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's class, there are boundaries and kind of class or landed society in terms of kind of the, the economic backgrounds of the sailors of the sure. lower deck and upper deck. And there's the kind of class of all the ship, whereas kind of the official ranks. And it, it was occasionally the lower deck sailors and the working class would be able to work up to kind of petty officer ranks of... Uh, carpenter or gunner or bosun but they wouldn't ever really there isn't much proof of uh kind of the working the the lower deck sailor the jack tar becoming a captain or one of the officers so we're looking specifically um or primarily at naval seafaring for these examples yes so jack tar was very much a kind of naval a take on kind of a naval um officer who's in the context Mm. of uh, the 18th century is a period of uh, great conflict, French Revolutionary Wars, and there are a lot of patriotic prints at, at this time. And so Jack Tar, and I guess to kind of fully understand Jack Tar before we look at the kind of visual uh, elements of Jack Tar, we kind of have to uh, unpack a bit of some of the kind of sailor culture from these lower deck sailors. Sure. And I think, uh, I don't know if you, you have preconceptions of uh, sailors or... Well, what, what does the ordinary sailor look like to you in this period? I feel like the ordinary sailor, the image that's conjured in my mind from the 18th century, uh, quite colourful clothing, uh, for some reason some kind of hat, not necessarily any shoes, <laughs> uh, and I think there's also connotations, and I think obviously I'm slightly led in by the fact that I 
I work within this field of history as well. So we're not getting sort of a completely uh, neutral take here. But uh, connotations of sailors ashore, I'm thinking drunkenness, revelry, and all this kind of thing. So were these actually the stereotypes that people in the 18th century, so land landsmen, terrestrial people, landsmen being something else, in the 18th century had of sailors, of Jack Tar? What does yeah. Jack Tar look like? Yeah, so... Um... Like, like you said, the kind of first thing is the appearance. Mm. You mentioned the, the kind of uniforms, the kind of sailing jackets would be blue, the, the hats often blue. Um, they're, they're a very distinctive look, and also one of the, the comments that's often made is about uh, the walking style or the mm. gait. And right. I, I'm sure uh, the listeners will have heard of uh, sea legs as a concept. And there was this idea that sailors, when back on land, would walk funny. They were so used to walking on a rolling deck. They would almost uh, have kind of a wider stance and kind of a rolling gait. Sure. So kind of these kind of sea legs, but on land. And I do actually remember reading somewhere, I can't remember exactly where, but there was a, there was a young sailor that enlisted. And before he had even shipped out, he started to walk as if he was a kind of a seasoned sailor, <laughs> almost to kind of invite himself into... Uh, invite himself to kind of join that that culture that has developed. And I think this is a key thing before we really unpack the othering from the the side of landed society of the sailor. Is there was othering on um, both sides? Like we mentioned earlier, uh, landsmen or land lovers that would come come <laughs> aboard uh, um, ships would you know they they would expect abuse. Violence and ridicule. There are examples mm. of this. They um, to learn I, the I read right. about um, landsmen who had come aboard wearing kind of a long coat and long tails. Mm. Would have the tails cut off, so it kind of uh, suddenly the coat becomes more like a sea jacket. It becomes more suitable to the environment and also more in line with the prominent kind of culture aboard. And one of the big parts of the kind of distinctive culture of sailors is language. Right. Curses are obviously uh, <laughs> famous uh, throughout history, but kind of a distinctive. I also, I, I'm not sure if you've ever read a Patrick O'Brien book. I have, yes. Or uh, yeah, so Master and Commander, the uh, the the Aubrey and something Maturin series. Uh, I remember reading that for the first time and being absolutely lost as the various ropes, yards, masts. I actually, I think I saw someone on Twitter the other day talking about the Patrick O'Brien books and saying that they skipped over all that stuff. <laughs> I remember reading it thinking, why would you skip it? Those are the best bits. But <laughs> for me, that's because it means something, right? Yeah, Workers. <laughs> yeah definitely. You know, I, I do remember though when I first read them before we had stuff really kind of looking into maritime history, I was like, no. Stern, larboard style, but why is he talking about top gallants again? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm completely lost. But that's what it was like in the 18th century. We get the sea talk, this kind of professional jargon, yeah, related to the profession. And in fact, we get examples from uh, sailors at this period almost applying that in other scenarios. So Thomas Trotter um, was a naval surgeon who published a work, uh, a nautical kind of medicinal work in 1797. Mm. And he wrote a passage actually analysing this kind of verbal art of the sailor. And he was basically emphasising how the sailor's conversation commonly turns upon his own profession. And they would often fill their conversation with hyperbole, similes and comparisons to their this um, sailor culture. It was almost a, 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 a sense of pride. You kind of, um, you kind of pick this up, essentially, when reading uh, accounts of sailors ashore, that they're almost priding themselves in being almost as confusing as possible to land of society <laughs> and using the kind of terminology of their profession in other scenarios. And Matthew Barker, who was an old sailor who wrote um, some sketches of observations about Greenwich Hospital, which mm. was a a naval hospital. Uh, I've got an extract here that I, I found the other day that I just thought was fascinating. He, he, wrote, he was writing about Jack Junk, and he writes, Jack Junk was a man of war's man, every inch of him. He was brought to bed, no, no, no. I mean, born in an arm chest, cradled in a frigate, rocked by the billows, and nursed by the captain of the forecastle. And I just find that self-correction. They start with, oh, in a brought to bed, but then he's suddenly like, oh no, I'm telling this story like a sailor. <laughs> so I need to speak as if I've never encountered a bed, you know, I need to forecastle, billows, nursed by a captain. Yeah. And that pride is you do comes through when you analyse sailor culture from 
and the kind of social world of sailors um, directly. I think it's Nicholas Roger that has written something about the seamen always dwelling at the fringes of settled society, and this separateness comes across mm. in sailor culture. You know, it, the impression you got was often Jack Tarr didn't care at all for the rest of the world. Sure, it was they were very much in their own region and world, and I think before we dive into the caricatures where this separate nurse and this otherness is being almost projected upon sailors, where I think we do have to recognise there are some some examples where sailors were almost reinforcing their own separation themselves. Mm -hmm. They were revelling in their own culture. And there was other on both sides, you know, land lovers, etc., as opposed to seafarers. And there was almost a level of pride in the difference and separation. So... Let's talk about these caricatures then that we've mentioned a couple of times. So we're going to put some of these, uh, these are visual sources that we're using today. I'm going to be putting them uh, a link in the show description uh, below and also we'll be putting it on Twitter as this episode goes live. Uh, but we're going to describe them for you as we go a little bit as well using our powers of audio description, um, <laughs> such as they are. <laughs> what is a caricature, first off? Um, so a caricature is it's... It's like a political cartoon. It's often a particular style of uh, drawing or image, picture or art where it often features are accentuated, actions are accentuated or a kind of style of caricaturing is very much often overstated. So similar to a caricature, you might see someone, a tourist, getting done on the street, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And similar to, you know, Private Eye, etc. Yeah. Sort of publications that continue this kind of graphic cartoon history in the latest iteration. And in in the period of the, the long 18th century, fortunate for maritime historians, <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this period of, you know, uh, naval conflict and... Uh, uh, kind of the Royal Navy being a, a subject of intense public interest, admirals and captains like Nelson almost being household names, being raised sure. to kind of um, uh, status of kind of national heroes. And I think what's fortunate for us is that this kind of era of height engagement with the Navy and this uh, age of Vernon, Rodney, Nelson, these admirals coincides with. James Gilray, Thomas Rowlandson, Isaac Cruikshank, all these great kind of leading figures in the history of British caricature. And caricatures in this period are being kind of routinely published alongside contemporary kind of political and military affairs and news. You know, this is the age of enlightenment. Caricature is flourishing in this kind of modern enlightenment city and these coffee shops and these kind of mm. growing number of newspapers, scandal magazines... Uh, the kind of start print shops, etc. And you have the likes of James Gilray, who is kind of very exclusively selling his his caricatures in kind of fashionable St. James's Palmer expensive to a certain mm. type of person. Then you get the likes of uh, Thomas Tegg, who produces kind of cheaper, cruder versions okay. of, of popular works by Gilray and others. And these uh, these uh, prints are kind of sold on the the, uh, the other end of town, and so you get this great diversity in terms of uh, the variety of prints. And what we begin to see is that because of the heightened engagement with the navy, the navy, all these victories, this conflict, these kind of naval battles, we begin to see kind of sailors and officers featuring caricatures, and that's kind of what leads us leads us to Jack Tar. And Jack Tarr, being this ordinary sailor, is very much, he, he becomes the subject of many caricatures. Okay. And that there are different avenues to the way sailors are being presented. Uh, I, I think we should maybe address those. Because I'm a bit surprised by this, actually. When I think of caricatures, I don't think of positive representations necessarily of people. Uh, but as you say, we're operating in this sort of age of, uh, certainly from the, the British perspective, this kind of heroic naval period where we have these heroic naval figures. And yet, Jack Tarr, as we've discussed previously, not necessarily a positive stereotype. And also caricaturing as a medium exaggerates features for satirical comedic purposes. How come we're ending up with this kind of representation? There are a multitude of ways in which sailors are being presented at this period. You do get the positive 
kind of uh, Jack Tar in the sense of kind of this stout pillar of the nation, salt of the patriotic, earth. salt of the salt earth. of the sea, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very much this kind of patriotic figure, the ordinary, dependable, straight-talking national treasure. This, yeah, this sailor that's the backbone. It's a little of, paternalistic, of but empire, yeah, <laughs> but but. Um, yeah, and it and you get a, a host of prints that are kind of quite patriotic. I sure. Use the uh, I guess a somewhat Gen Z phrase of uh, throwing shade. Um, you get <laughs> you get a lot of th- uh, shade thrown at the French or the enemies okay. of, of Britain at this point, and you get a lot of celebration of these victories. But you also get this this other kind of image of of Jack Tar and sailors and this kind of unpolished that he may on one hand be reliable and fiercely loyal Mm. but you also get a more kind of vulgar stereotype emerging which is perhaps kind of the the caricatures that are more kind of common today are more potentially more negative less patriotic it's very much I think today satire is very much almost anti-authoritarian at points sure and so you do get these uh, these kind of more crude presentations and vulgar stereotypes of Jack Tar and sailors, and they're often from Thomas Tegg, who, like we, we spoke of earlier, is this kind of publisher that's uh, publishing uh, in is publishing kind of cruder, cheaper uh, prints. Yeah, and so this kind of leads us on to the the first caricature we yeah. have to discuss today. So our first caricature then is Thomas Rowlandson. Uh, sailors on horseback and again this image will be up uh, in the show notes and also on twitter if you want to look at it so can you just describe this image briefly for those at home listening yeah so uh, um, this image here is it, it features four sailors and they're all quite identifiable they're all in the blue jackets with a kind of sailor Sailor attire, hats, mm. stripy, one of them is with a kind of stripy uh, trousers. They're very much recognisable for this period as sailors. And three of them are riding a ho- horses, although, as you can tell, not, not too convincingly. No. <laughs> and, um, they don't look comfortable. And one of them is on the floor, his horse having already deserted him. And so over the top, there are um, a few... Um, there's the kind of speech and one of them saying uh, damn me how she heaves why is this worse than a jolly boat in the bay of Biscay and what a (laughs) damn noise she makes in her poop signals for sailing I suppose Uh, and so again we we see we see what we were speaking of earlier about this kind of nautical English Mm. we're seeing the horse being referred to almost like a ship and and it continues on with the second um um, the, the second sailor is saying, here I come, my hearties, right and light, smart sailing, but never mind that. I can't be cast away for my com- commander, heavens bless him, has lashed me to the deck with some tough old cables. <laughs> and he's not lashed to the deck, he's tied himself to the horse. Yes, he's got ropes wrapped around him and wrapped around the horse's uh, neck and belly. <laughs> and so what, what we're seeing here is, is clearly four, four individuals. The, the, the last individual on the left... Um, is saying, mind what are at messmates, for I am upset, and the frigate I came aboard of has has been underway without me this half hour. Basically saying the horse has <laughs> run off. It's sort of a fish out of water situation. It, exactly, that's exactly it. And it go, goes back to, I think, firstly, the first thing you notice goes back to that kind of nautical jargon. They're all referring to the horse as if it's a ship, yeah. using nautical terminology. And they seem very much, like you say, a fish out of water. They're out of control. And they're out of place doing this kind of fairly common landed activity. Mm. It's obviously there is uh, kind of classist elements to horse riding. Horse it's, riding was often yes. seen as an aristocratic um, pastime, and you know, uh, not the the everyday person wouldn't have been able to own a horse. Sure. But, but we see this kind of fairly common landed activity, and we see these these sailors being completely uh, presented as completely unable to. To do this, and I think it's worth also mentioning that kind of physical features of the sailors are important as well. And so, this is quite common in this period, particularly from Thomas Rowland's work. I don't know if you would like to describe the, the faces that you see. They're all fairly large gentlemen, I'd say, and uh, their features are quite exaggerated, sort of flushed red cheeks, and they are, in the way of caricatures the world over, I suppose, not hugely attractive figures. Um, <laughs> they're, they're all sort of in 
various stages of either upset or anger, I would say. Yeah, and so exactly, they're all, they're quite caricatures. Do uh, today definitely kind of overemphasize certain features if you ever see a street caricaturist. But this was also a way in which Rowlandson and other artists in this period kind of, I think it's uh, physiognomically, which is where you determine character from their physical qualities. So it's suggesting so to, the, kind of, to the viewer. Yeah, exactly. So this kind of the, the kind of bulbous nose, the swollen jaw, it almost convoluted kind of forms suggesting animal kind of vigor and more animal appetites. And mm. this is the kind of... Uh, fits in with that image of the drunken sailor, you know, very impulsive yeah. uh, individual on shore. This print here is, again, very similar to uh, the second uh, caricature we're going to speak about. Yes. And this is Sailors in a Calm. And this again, is a Thomas Tegg one, right? Yeah, so this is Thomas, uh, this is from Thomas Tegg's kind of stable of caricaturists. And this, it was a very common trope Thomas Tegg would do is the sailor riding a horse. This very common kind of humorous caricature he, he would publish uh, regularly and um, it, if you want to describe uh, this yes of course uh, so it's a sort of pastoral scene we're in the countryside somewhere in the background and then in the foreground we have uh, three sailors again in colorful garb um, riding one horse a very long horse I'm not sure about the horse's anatomy <laughs> and then we have a fourth sailor also standing with them and they, they're all very much dressed up to go ashore and the poor horse looks a little confused. And so the, uh, yeah, and the, the, the sailor that stood up is saying something to the three, the three sailors riding, like you say, this incredibly lengthy horse. <laughs> but uh, he, he's basically saying, you're in a dead calm and damn to you, you lovely set of swabs. Uh, why did you get aboard that cursed, crazy Dutch built, weather-beaten old cast of Hulk? He's actually <laughs> describing a horse this way. Why the blazes did you not overhale the vessel before you set sail? And, and basically, again, this, this nautical terminology, because the horse isn't moving in this picture, and it's this idea that they're in a calm. Um, a couple of the sailors behind the sailor at the front is, what is Tom Pipes about there at the helm? Does he mean to set sail or not? Again, it's this, <laughs> this nautical terminology and this, this spectacle that of sailors on land is, is a spectacle. It, they're very other. They're out of place. Mm. They're... They're uncomfortable. They cannot even ride a horse. And actually, there's um, there's some of the local, I suppose, country folk behind them who are watching this scene, sort of in the background, sitting against the house. There, I suppose, probably have been quite amused by it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's this it's this everyday activity, is this spectacle of humour when sailors are involved. And it's just again, it plays into this kind of othering we're speaking of earlier, and really emphasising difference and separation. Mm. How sailors are out of place when on land. Mm. I guess we, we, were, we were talking uh, earlier about uh, kind of another facet of sailor culture, and Jack Tarlett's often commented upon, and that was their drunkenness. Yes. And so with this next, um, this next caricature here, it kind of plays upon that. So sailors in this period often arrive on shore, but having just been paid, mm. paid up with pockets full of coin, and go on what is known as a spree. Yes. And a spree is essentially uh, a wild uh, a bank holiday weekend in Shoreditch. And it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's spending all your money as quickly as possible in, well, not taverns today, but taverns and drinking houses and, drinking and houses. houses of other otherwise ill repute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, well, maybe less well, common today, brothels and prostitutes are often heavily featuring in these, uh, these sprees and also the kind of depictions of this spree and again this one here uh this caricature is called jack in a white squall amongst breakers on the lee shore of saint catherine's and this mm. was again a thomas tegg uh, production and essentially what what's happening in this picture is there's a sailor stood in what looks like a tavern of some sorts or a drinking house and he's basically standing uh kind of legs astride hands kind of plunged in in the pockets of his jacket mm. his his broken pipe that was kind of he was smoking lies at his feet uh still smoking and he's basically squinting and he's looking one eye is looking at a scene on his left which is uh chaos essentially <laughs> yeah. there's a there's a lady which is supposed to be a, a prostitute is about to smash a violin or i guess a fiddle 
over the over the sailor's head, mm. and he see, she seems to have stolen the fiddle off um, a man on the floor with a wooden leg and a patched eye, uh, with an eye patch, uh, and so that's kind of the scene on the left, and on the right we have two other women who again seem very uh, angry, and one's holding out a very long bill on which <laughs> items uh, such as sundries, lodgings, grog, fiddler are all kind of repeated, and um, the signs kind of. For guineas are uh, marked on the wall behind the other lady pointing towards this this kind of chalked up score of how much he owes and the, the sailor in the midst of all this uh, carnage um, is saying I am hard up not a quid left or shot in the locker to pay the fiddler my eyes what a squall how it whistles through the rat lines I must brail up and scud under bare poles and essentially uh, again, applying nautical terminology to yeah. a, 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 a very uh, a terrestrial situation, terrestrial scenario. It, it sounds like he's going to cut and run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, it's worth noting that St. Catherine's, which this has taken place, was um, a very kind of disreputable area. Mm. It was uh, it was actually an area of London that had its own watchman and basically featured many kind of sail sailor ale houses and basically the, the, it's titled their White Squall, which is for those of you that don't know, it's like a gust or like a storm, like yeah. a localised storm, but in this case it's... Rapid it, onset, yeah. wind and rain. Yeah. Or in this case, rapid onset of the bill. The bill, <laughs> yeah. And um, all that comes with it in this case. Uh, and again, this is uh, this is quite an interesting uh, scenario because it, it's arguably, you could say that it's often the last experience that landed society would have with a sailor. Mm. So often, typically, sailors would... Uh, get paid from a previous voyage once they'd run out of all their money and drunk themselves uh, dry of all sort of money and <laughs> finance um, they would then embark on another voyage and go on another ship to um, uh, refresh in the coffers I guess uh, and so it, it, it's quite interesting that you just see this again this this carnage and this kind of negative view this drunkard this, this uh, essential kind of cheating the bill, not paying. Again, this kind of negative connotation of Jack Tar. Mm. Um, although I did read somewhere, and I can't claim that, looking at this, this is what I, uh, what I thought up. But um, I saw someone that was comparing this to the judgment of Hercules <laughs> and, and how um, the classical hero is approached by two contrasting goddesses pondering a choice between life of virtue and life of pleasure. Mm. And in this scenario, it's kind of this ironic casting of Jack in this role of Hercules between yes. these two angry women in this scenario. Neither of which root is hugely virtuous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it kind of, I think that does kind of lead us into how I think it is worth saying that the popular image of this British sailor, this Gentile, wasn't one-dimensional. We've kind of touched on it earlier about this kind of idea that was alongside this. We are primarily looking at the debaucherous Gentile, yes. the, 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 the sort of negative connotations around sailors in this period. But there were, like, like we've kind of briefly discussed this kind of brave, stout, doing his duty to his country, patriotic image. Mm. Um, I think there are different ways in which sailors were presented, and this kind of leads us on to a third, uh, fourth even. Yes. It's not really a, a caricature. It's a caricature. It's more like a kind of a landscape scene. It's interesting that you mentioned a comparison to a more classical image for the last one, because this next one, this the Portsmouth Point one, it actually reminds me of... Have you ever seen the sort of the Dutch master's street scenes? I think it's Bruegel and stuff like that, of uh, sort of revelry in the streets of Amsterdam the, and things like that. The and uh, Gin Lane as well. Have you mm. seen those, those images? Where... And this is, this is uh, in Portsmouth, I believe. Um, I'm assuming Portsmouth Point is Portsmouth. I'm getting nods. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I... I forget that I have to uh, <laughs> enunciate, <laughs> enunciate my, uh, my agreement. And so it, in the <laughs> foreground, we have uh, essentially a street party, although there seems to be some kind of packing to go away happening as well, which I'm sure we can get into in a moment. There's people hanging out of windows, there's barrels being rolled around, there's people being rolled around as well. And in the background, we have a fleet uh, seemingly setting sail. Yeah, so this, this scene here um, is, is Thomas Rowlandson, and he... It, it is. It's this scene before uh, the the fleet are setting sail. It's almost these final hours ashore, and and in this, it's worth noticing that uh, the sailors of all ranks, and 
if you look on the right, um, mm. you see quite a calm, ordered scene of officers saying goodbye to what seems to be their wives, their children. They're very well dressed. They're very well dressed. They're very orderly. And on the, the left of the scene, you see the supposed kind of um, Jack Tars, the everyday sailor in rather more debaucherous scenes. Mm. Um, there's, there's a uh, a fiddler playing music that seems to be very drunken and disorderly. And it, it, it's almost like the whole scene from left to right goes from uh, disorderly to orderly. And I think this is a very interesting one because we, we kind of touched on that earlier, but the classist connotations with Jack Tar. Yes. And then this is so apparent where you see the officers are very much being presented, very well-ordered. They're very much... Um, being presented as gentlemen-like. They're, mm. very, they're very ordered, composed. They're saying goodbye uh, to their wives and relationships, whereas the Jack Tar, as we've seen in the previously, there, there seems to be less of a kind of stereotype about their relationships with wives, etc. It always seems to be more short-term relationships with uh, women. And we, we see, uh, you know, we're prostitution, prostitutes always figure, etc. And you go, it's interesting that you see these in, in this image, why it's one of my favorite caricatures. You see it side by side where you mm. see the clear kind of classist connotations that were underlying the kind of depictions of Jack Tar as compared to officers. Because, like I was saying, at this time, people like Nelson, etc., also been caricatured, but they've been very uh, caricatured in this kind of gentleman figure, this heroic figure. But Jack Tar is receiving often slightly more negative stereotypes mm. and more negative uh, depictions in, in caricatures in this period. I also like that, um, so on the right-hand side above the officers, there is, it's a very large St. George Cross flag flying off the side of the building. And on the left-hand side with all of the Jack Tars, instead of that, there is a washing line essentially with clothes hanging off it at about the same level in the picture. Yeah. I love this sort of mirror um, yeah, comparison. Exactly. It, it's, it's just the, the scene on the left and the scene on the right. And it's just the, the stark contrast really kind of emphasise also how the different ranks were being depicted. And, and I think this kind of leads me on to our, our final caricature. Mm. I, I do apologise that I, I, uh, perhaps caricatures were, were, were the, not the most appropriate topic for a podcast. I think it's interesting. <laughs> but uh, it, it does hopefully actually... our descriptions do yeah, some justice. Yeah. <laughs> and if not, as I say, all these images are in the description below, a link to those. But yeah, so our last um, yes. uh, caricature is, it's called Nautical Politeness. And it, it's a scene on board, which is the only scene on board. And I, I just wanted to kind of, uh, alongside kind of depicting Jack Tar and Sailors on Land, I wanted to kind of just incorporate briefly one on board. And it's it's three lower deck sailors uh, sat around cannons and on chests. And essentially, they're trying to read the orders of their officers. <laughs> and it's the dispatches from Cadiz. And uh, you get one... Um, one sailor saying, did you ever hear such palaver, Jack, just before an action? Be, and then another one saying, be quiet, you lovers. You don't know how to be polite. One of the messieurs has asked me, asked me, so asked me a little uh, time before I blow him up and see what a good letter I've sent him. And it's just <laughs> this, um, this contrast of uh, the kind of nautical, the, the lower deck sailor not understanding the kind of, uh, the, the chivalry, the, 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 the kind of, What's the word? The kind of gentleman procedures, the etiquette, etiquette, the word and the sort of diplomacy. For. The diplomacy. I, you can actually read one of the letters, and uh, the, so the, the fellow on the right who is saying that he's, you know, that you guys don't know how to be polite. His letter reads um, that he has the honour of seeing the French, the, the Frenchman this morning, and he says, "If you don't surrender by six in the evening, I'll be damned if I don't blow you up." <laughs> And again, so this is where we see we see slightly more the kind of patriotic mm. element of the sailor, the kind of straight talking. But again, we see this way the the the, the lower deck sailor, the jacks are being othered. You know, we've kind of spoken about how they're being othered. If from landed side, we're looking at this separation. You know, this inability to ride the horse, this inability to kind of seemingly uh, act uh, according to social norms on land. And here we're seeing. The, the kind of difference from the officers, the difference from mm. the, the, the French. Um, but also they seem very composed. The way they're sitting, they're sort of quite, as you say, they are relaxed in stature. They're also, uh, they've sort of got their legs crossed over, stuff like this. They seem very 
comfortable, composed, yeah. and much more at home. Yeah, exactly. They're much more at home aboard the ship. It seems like much more in place. They seem they seem to be they seem less kind of out of place, which is what kind of the key factors rise through in the others when they're on land. Mm. And it's just this. Um, it's what we've spoken about briefly. This is a kind of a part of the other image about Jack Tar, this kind of stout, brave, in face of the country's enemies, the kind of pillar of the nation. And this is actually a period where there's a, been a lot of discussion about this, how caricatures, um, in some sense, has actually made sailors a bit more palatable. Mm. You can see that uh, the, the kind of, I think dumbing down is the wrong word, but the kind of uh, depiction of a sailor being quite, honest and simple a simple man straight talking it, it, this is in a period where there's a lot of discontent in the navies you've got also the french revolutionary wars there's a lot of anxiety about within society about the the you know revolutions and you know there's the nor and spithead mutinies which mm. were these big naval mutinies in 1797 where uh, a lot of the lower deck overthrew uh, the officers and there is this kind of demand and there's this discontent and anxiety in society so you also get this this other mode of representation of of sailors where they are they're almost being made more palatable they're being oh it's you know it's jack tar it's you know the trusty it's almost normalizing yeah normalizing it and almost um making them you know kind of easing that anxiety about potentially this discontent giving this kind of mm. image of jack tar as this kind of simple folk but loyal and like I said, that that's kind of a kind of a conversation for another day. But I guess to kind of cycle back all of this discussion, I just think the way in which 18th century sailors have been othered and been depicted, and the way in which they kind of other themselves. Uh, we spoke briefly at the start of the kind of the sailor culture and they're kind of uh, incorporating the kind of cultural identity is just so interesting. And in some ways, this kind of cultural identity about sailors is rooted in the imaginary as well as the social actuality. Yes. We and I think these kind of topics of othering and kind of depictions, representations is so you know it's a continuous debate today, particularly you know with uh, you know conversations about prejudice, stereotypes, mm. and investigating these kind of these these topics can be useful in other contexts. Looking at this, looking at sailors can be just interesting to think about othering and thinking about and and certainly from my research, looking into just caricatures and it, it's kind of opened my eyes to kind of othering in this this. Uh, climate sort of how we construct difference and, and things like that it, yeah exactly. and you can see the same elements at play and actually you brought in one more visual source for us to discuss at the very end here which is a modern day source um, <laughs> we'd like to talk about that for a moment yeah so this is um it, it, uh, the publication's luomo i think it's it's kind of a spin-off or in the kind of uh, catalogue of vogue magazines i think it's aimed at men i, I think it's like a it's it's in the kind of Vogue collection, of sure. the family of magazines, and it's this uh, this cover of, of this issue. And I was actually attending a talk um, uh, about uh, the the fisherman that it's depicting, and essentially it's, it's depicting on the front cover. There's a photograph of fishermen, these Sicilian fishermen, and it's basically an article about how these fishermen are often the first uh, people to encounter uh, migrants in capsized mm. ships off Sicily. And they have that choice of rescuing them. You know that there's the there's very um, a lot of dispute over this, where it's like um, they're just rescuing migrants, and then it's the the kind of laws about allowing migrants to the country. And it's it's quite strong in this region in Sicily, where there's a lot of travel and migration. Mm. Um, yeah. And so again, I just what struck me about this photograph is just how first of all how staged it is. So the front cover is a photograph of five fishermen. They're all at various different heights, kind of perched aboard the deck of a ship and on fishing nets. And they're all wearing these kind of bright overalls. Mm. And it just, again, it's just how othered they are. It just feels so, okay, we need to kind of emphasise these are fishermen. So they're all in these spotless kind of fishing overalls. But they almost, they're almost so clean that you think perhaps were they given them or, you know, well, they you feel like to clean them specially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and again... The nets are just perfectly arranged, or this fishing ship arranged on mm. deck, and they're all sprawled over it. And again, they're, they're on their ship looking towards land. Uh, the, the land is in the background, the shoreline. And it just feels kind of... It just, again, is that reminder of how sailors are other today and how yes. how these kind of facets of, kind of sailor culture are just kind of, oh, this this is what makes a sailor a sailor. And it's 
and I just I found it fascinating. Uh, it was a talk about about this debate, but it was just a fascinating. Again, I see this, and it's just so reminiscent the kind of latest iteration of caricatures. And I guess my last thing, I guess, on the matter is that you know with Arthurian stereotyping, mm. and I think this is particularly prominent. I've written about this in a journal article um, about the 18th century. Is is don't almost uh, I guess it's like fall for it, you know. Don't overemphasize the yeah. similarities because all of these these uh, caricatures and all these pictures they focus so much on that difference to landed society. They focus on the difference to uh, a regular uh, landed person, or they focus on the difference to officers. And it almost because of that is that us versus them is that that debate, and it, you kind of get this stereotype and this. Oh, all sailors are like this. All mm. you know, this common maritime culture, and there's a danger on it. If you focus too much on this kind of difference to land and society, you kind of neglect the individuality of sailors themselves, the differences in their own experiences. And uh, one thing I was writing about in this article I, I published was the kind of experience of a sailor, a naval sailor in the 18th century that was touring the for months in the Pacific with James Cook and exploring. Is very different to a, a sailor on a short-term voyage here at Convoy in the Channel and their experiences, their interactions, and the kind of influences on their own culture. And I think the this this concept of othering is just such a fascinating topic. Today. It requires you to generalize almost, doesn't it? Mm. Because the whole time that we were discussing these images of, and it was predominantly of naval seafarers, the back of my mind something was going. But what about people in um, littoral communities, so seaside um, communities, fishermen, for example, who are not away at sea for months at a time, who are not away at sea and coming home to burn all their money, but just come home every night to their families. They're still sailors um, in their own right. And yet that stereotype doesn't apply to them at all. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the, that's the key point is by looking, you look at the, you get this, this stereotype, you get this, this long voyage in this jack tar. And I think you can come too caught up with it. You can come mm. too caught up in this this model of the sailor, and that's why I find the the characters so so interesting. And also, when you compare it when you do your, your other work, you kind of delve a bit further, and you just think, you know, there is so much variation within sailors. There is so much, and this is what the danger of kind of you know the othering is, and this stereotyping. And this is why, mm. as a historian, you you have to skirt around. You know, you have to uncover the kind of true story. But I also, as as someone that enjoys cultural historian, I think representations are really important. Mm. I think kind of uh, more cerebral, the imaginary is as significant as the actuality, the real. You know? Yeah. What people thought about sailors is as important as what sailors were really like. And I think it's it's interesting to kind of unpack all of these and, and put them on a similar pedestal and kind of uh, put them side by side. I'm actually, that's something I'm quite struck by, by the Luomo cover, which maybe it's easier for me to approach this with this example because it's modern, so I can think about the way it sort of approaches culture that I'm more familiar with. But the idea of the fact that it's essentially a men's Vogue cover. So really, does it tell us perhaps more about the target audience of the magazine than it does about the people being photographed themselves, the, the fishermen being photographed. I mean, they I'd say there's sort of an inherent masculinity to the way that they've been posed, for example, which might have something to do with the magazine itself. Their story of rescuing people from the sea, rescuing migrants from the sea, there's an element of heroism there as well. Yeah, 100%. You know, this is, a, you look at the bottom, this is the work issue as well. It's very much the the hard-working man, the, mm. the heroic man. These kind of traditional forms of masculinity are being presented in this Loma. And again, it's just, yeah, it's that idea that I think, yeah, it's how staged are these fishermen, how it just it just comes across so staged, just the way they're all stood, the way they're all being presented, and just how, again, how, how they're kind of conforming to this kind of traditional masculine image. Mm. But they're also... It's that degree of okay. This is what a fisherman should be like. This is what they should look like. Yeah. This is what in your um, idea the fisherman you know, is out here sitting you know, on his net wearing his overalls. He, exactly, yeah. and he, he's out at sea. You know, he's not in. He's not on land. He's amongst his shipmates. You don't see him down Tesco's. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I just think, I think the sort of depictions of sailors are so 
so thought-provoking and there are so many we we today we've we've primarily focused on this kind of separation element but mm. like you say unpacking caricatures and the kind of sailor through the masculinity through various different lenses you can really again look at these kind of depictions and look at the way kind of jack tar is being presented and from so many different angles thank you i think there's a lot to chew on there a lot to think about and we'll wrap up there for today Thank you so much for coming on, John Mark. My pleasure. It has been my pleasure, in fact. I feel like I've learned a lot about um, the depiction of sailors through the 18th century and never to take these things at face value, I think, is my main takeaway, always to imagine why they're being presented in such a way. And I think that's something that you've managed to communicate very well. And again, I'll I'll just say it again for for those at home, there are going to, these images will be linked within description. Um, If our voices describing them are not enough for you then you can find them view them and come to your own conclusions as well about what you think they're trying to say thank you very much yeah thank you thank you for having me thank you for listening to this episode of the charting history podcast this has been the story of jack tar and british sailor culture featuring jean mark hill and myself graham moore if you want to talk about this episode and keep in touch with us here at the charting history podcast you can follow us on twitter at charting that's at Charting Hist Pod. That's all for this season, actually, of the Charting History Podcast, but we'll be hard at work behind the scenes gathering a new series of guests and a new set of stories for Season 2. I'd like to personally thank you for listening to Season 1 of Charting History. This has been a personal project for me, and I've learned a lot whilst making these last five episodes. I hope that you have too from listening to them. I'm planning to take that experience forwards and think about what went well this season and what didn't quite work so well while shaping the next batch of episodes. If you have any feedback on this first season, do contact the podcast via the social media above, that's at ChartingHistPod on Twitter. I'm also on the lookout for the next lot of guests, so do get in touch if there's something you think we should cover on the podcast. Looking forwards, I'm sure we'll see you soon, but for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye.